Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Larry Bush practices infectious disease medicine in Palm Beach County, Florida. He worked with us a lot in the past in regards to infectious diseases, in particular COVID. Now we need to discuss monkeypox. Dr. Bush, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. There are two levels of questions that instantly come to my mind. One is the science, which we need to learn about, but also is the fatigue and the deflecting political and misinformation issues that have of late come to our discussions far too often. I think people are tired, but let's go step by step. Those who've been practicing since the 70s and 80s have had the opportunity to experience and live in and interact with patients with three major events in infectious diseases. One of the most devastating pandemics that's still ongoing, first identified in 1981, is HIV or AIDS. We're still battling with that. And every year, there are approximately 38 to 40,000 new diagnosed cases in this country, although we have access to great medications to keep it from spreading and exceptionally good test at detecting it early. But having said that, it is very hard to stop diseases that are spread sexually and by respiratory routes, in that case, sexually. Then we had COVID beginning in December of 2019, first recognition, the first cases early 2020 in most of the world, and we're still dealing with that and are likely to be dealing with that for quite some time. And then all of a sudden in May of 2022, we hear of another disease that was first recognized in monkeys in 1958. People say, why is it called monkeypox? Well, the same reason the Spanish flu is called the Spanish flu, because the Spaniards were the first one to recognize it. And in 1958, in Denmark, where they had captive monkeys, which were being used for research at that time, they developed a pox-like lesion and were found to have this virus they named monkeypox. So that virus is part of the orthopox virus group, where the ones that we know specifically are smallpox. The other interesting one is cowpox, which people may not know, but cowpox was the first virus that was used to produce a vaccine by Jenner in the late 1700s. He noticed that people who were milking cows had these lesions on their hands, and it was secondary to getting cowpox, like we have monkeypox now. So he would take that virus from the cows and inoculate people who were milking cows. That's why it's called vaccination, from the word vaca for cow. Monkeypox was first isolated from monkeys in 1958, and it was felt to be a disease that was mostly found in Africa, and their first human cases weren't diagnosed until 12 years later. Now, I always tell my residents who I teach that the first time we recognize something isn't the first time it's ever occurred. You don't recognize what you don't know, and people may have had lesions for years that were monkeypox, since it doesn't cause a lot of illness or death, fortunately. Nobody really made a diagnosis. But in 1970, the first cases were noted, and the first large outbreak in the United States was approximately 20 years ago in 2003, when there were about four dozen cases internationally arrived at the same time when rodents were bringing in this country for various reasons coming from Africa. It's an endemic virus in Africa, two strains, one in Western Africa, which is the strain we're dealing with, and one in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Central Africa, which is much more virulent. What's interesting about this disease, which reminds me of the early days of HIV AIDS, is that the virus that causes HIV was not identified as HTLV3, a human retrovirus, obviously the third one, until 1983. For, for the first two years, the disease wasn't called AIDS. It wasn't called HIV. It was called GRID, gay-related immune deficiency. Because just like monkeypox, the overwhelming majority of people who we saw that disease in in the early 80s were gay men. 
And as of today, globally, there have been around 42,000 diagnosed cases of monkeypox. The largest amount are in the United States, 14,500 approximately as of last evening. Over 93% have occurred in men who have sex with men, a third of which have HIV concurrently, which is fascinating. Can we extrapolate that to say that a predisposition exists when someone else has another disease, or am I stretching that? A little bit of a stretch, because that's a concern. Is monkeypox a sexually transmitted infection, like HIV is? And the thing is, is HIV is not considered a sexually transmitted infection, because sexually transmitted infections are predominantly only transmitted sexually. Monkeypox can be transmitted by somebody lying in a bed with somebody with monkeypox because of contamination of the sheet. It can be ineffectively, but spread by fomite, simple fomites on a tabletop. Again, not very well. You need close contact for a long period of time, and it can be spread by the respiratory route. Not very effectively, you need close contact for a long period of time because it is a respiratory illness to some degree. So in essence, it's not really a sexually transmitted infection. The reason it's being transmitted in these men who have sex with men is because sexual encounters imply that people are having close skin-to-skin contact for a prolonged period of time. And the first group of individuals to become infected with monkeypox in this current outbreak are similar to HIV back in the 1980s, where men who had traveled from a group, a congregation, in this case from Africa, back to Europe, to the United States, throughout the world, now 94 countries have reported monkeypox and are having close contact. So the majority are still being spread in men who have sex with men because it's very easy to avoid getting monkeypox as opposed to COVID. It would seem that bisexual relationships would cause the same endpoint. After all, skin is still touching skin. Is it that we've not yet had enough statistics to prove this? What's your spin on this? Yeah, I think so, because as I said, it can be spread by fomites, but people whose skin's exposed to a surface for some time, and then our skin or anybody else's skin is exposed to the same surface, can contract monkeypox. But also, it is potentially spread by the respiratory route. It's also found in semen. It's found in saliva. We don't know if there are very effective ways of spreading it. We're not sure if it's spread by blood at this point, potentially. So as the numbers grow, Odd things will happen, and then we'll have to be careful. As of now, since the early recognition of this outbreak, the first week of May 2022, there's been recognized around 42,000 cases in the world, which really pales compared to what we saw with COVID. Because the majority of outbreaks of large diseases in the history of infectious disease pandemics have been spread either respiratory-wise or by contaminated water. And fortunately, we've taken good control of that in large parts of the world. What I find so interesting and intriguing is the fact that we've studied this disease. We have a vaccine for it, but we are coming out of COVID, and so many of us are still shall we say, hypersensitive and shy of all of this. Is monkeypox as lethal? Where are we going with this? Oh, exactly. To those points, 42,000 global diagnosed cases, there have only been 12 deaths. 
You know, when I say only, that doesn't downplay that each death is obviously devastating, but 12 and none in the U.S. so far out of approximately 14,500 cases. It's not necessarily lethal. What it does do, and smallpox was much more lethal, and similarly a pox virus, same family, is that it can cause scarring. Uh, and some people, it can affect their eyes and cause problems with their eyes and children and can cause encephalitis. To date, there have been less than a dozen children who've been diagnosed with monkeypox. Again, because their risk of that close contact is very small. It doesn't have a, a case fatality of almost any significant amount so far. That doesn't mean it can't change. That is one big difference. As with the vaccines, I'm glad you bring that up. The smallpox vaccine that we used to use called Drivax sort of went away because it's dangerous as it's a replicating live vaccine. And the vaccination method was by a bifurcated needle. Therefore, your skin can shed virus and you can infect immune compromised people and they can get a severe disease. And individual who's vaccinated, they can have severe manifestations or adverse side effects. So that was changed to a vaccine called ACAM, ACAM 2000, which was approved only for smallpox. And what's fascinating about those vaccines is you can't do a smallpox vaccine trial. So when that vaccine was approved, smallpox had disappeared from the world. The last documented cases of smallpox in the world were in the 1970s, early on. In fact, we stopped the vaccination for smallpox in this country in 1970. As an interesting note, smallpox is felt to be the only respiratory spread virus that's ever been totally eliminated by a vaccine in the history of vaccinations. That vaccine was never tested in humans for smallpox because when the vaccine was developed, there was no smallpox. So you couldn't say it's preventing something that doesn't occur. You can't say it's a vaccine or they're just not being exposed to smallpox. But that vaccine is still replicative in humans and you still have to use a bifurcated needle. So there's a new vaccine called Gynos, J-Y-N-N-E-O-S. And that vaccine also is a live vaccinous strain, but it can't replicate in humans. It's given by injection. It's two doses apart. It's approved both for smallpox and monkeypox. Now, you could say, well, how would the company or the FDA or any agency approve it for monkeypox when there were nobody to test it against? Well, that's the caveat that you bring up about having vaccines. It's never been tested against humans for monkeypox. It's a supposition because of animal models. Hopefully, it works. What we do know, it's different than COVID vaccines because it can be given after you've already been exposed and after you've already had diagnosis of the disease. And it can either prevent you from becoming actively infected after exposure, or if you already have the disease early on, it could prevent you from going on to severe disease. So that's very effective. And it's available. The health departments will give it for people who've been known to be exposed and who are at high risk of being exposed. This week we heard that one-fifth of the prior dose will be given for vaccinations. Is this clinically significant? What's the logic? The logic is that the smallpox vaccine that presumably would still be effective against monkeypox but never tried in monkeypox called the ACAM 2000, there's many, many millions of doses available by the CDC. But they're reluctant to give that one because the Gynios vaccine is much safer. On the flip side of that, the supply of gynios is very small, and it has not been revved up to the amount that may be needed if this really takes off and spreads rapidly in this country and worldwide. So they've done studies to show that if you give one-fifth the dose intradermally instead of subcutaneously, will produce the same amount of immunologic benefit, and it does. So the recommendation as of August 9th 
is now that these health departments will give one-fifth the dose, meaning that we have many more doses available than we would have until their supply increases. Again, the vaccine's never been studied in a human trial for monkeypox, only animal trials. Closer to home, we've read that pets can also get the virus and that they can be vaccinated, and sometimes it's even been suggested that they be quarantined. We're both not veterinarians, but could you speak to the notion of pets and monkeypox? In the outbreaks that have been found, remember, this is endemic in Africa, and that's never been a large way of how it's spread. It's mostly at that point human to human, but also small rodents. But as far as domestic animals, that doesn't seem to be a very effective spreading method for this virus. So I'm not too concerned about that because, as we know, certain domestic animals, house pets, can also have COVID, and that doesn't seem to be much of a mechanism of spread, particularly cats. As of now, I'm not too worried. The other good news about monkeypox, if there is good news about pandemics, is that we have an effective antiviral agent that was originally manufactured and researched for smallpox. Because as you know, after anthrax, smallpox was the next organism that was felt to be a likely biologic agent in the case of bioterrorism. So there's a medication called Ticoviramat which can be given orally or intravenously. It could also be used in children, and it's very effective against smallpox and it's effective against monkeypox, again, in vitro, because we haven't had smallpox patients or monkeypox patients to give it to. But that's available via an expanded access new drug application. Is therefore a recommendation that we should prophylactically vaccinate against monkeypox? CDC's recommendation is for people who have risk of monkeypox, either living with somebody with it and obviously being exposed to it by sexual contact because of close skin contact, they can get a preventative vaccination. Or people, laboratory workers or animal workers, they also can. These are the caveats you would have to ask them if they've had that. And it's available at the health department in the right setting, meaning you just can't walk in and say, I think I want one of these to be protective. You'd have to have a reason. There's been the reappearance of polio, and every now and then there's a reappearance of measles, and generally seems to be in people who are not vaccinated. What is your take on the importance of vaccine? Why do you think this is happening? It's dangerous. I agree with you. Obviously, there's a whole host of people who don't say that, even medical people who could say the opposite. As we know, Robert Kennedy Jr., who I've personally been at a conference with and I was a keynote speaker with him and got to eat dinner with him and speak to him and didn't quite understand his take on this. If you look at diseases, we all tout antibiotics and things of that nature. But what's really changed the world of infectious diseases is vaccination and clean water sanitation. As I said before, smallpox is the only known respiratory disease that's been eradicated by a vaccine. Now, is that because the vaccine's immunogenic effect was so good and protective and it lasted throughout our lives because nobody's had a vaccine in this country for the last 52 years unless they were in the military? Is that the reason or it's because we think it's protecting you against a disease? And it may not be because you've never been exposed to that disease to find out because this disease doesn't exist. Having said that, measles and polio are transmitted by those roots, respiratory root and polio-wise by poor sanitation. It's transmitted in the stool, therefore contaminating water. And so why is there all of a sudden some measles outbreaks that we intermittently see, the largest last one being in 2016, 2018 in the Pacific Northwest in California, which interestingly are the same states that have the most liberal laws for children going to school without vaccines. That's reason number one. And why are we seeing this with polio now, particularly in New York State? 
one, the vaccines probably don't produce lifelong protection, and we're probably going to start needing boosters. And secondly, because of the anti-vaccine culture, as you just mentioned. And thirdly, I mean, no matter how you look at this, there's a large amount of immigrations from parts of the world where people have never been vaccinated, particularly children. And they could be bringing the disease in. That's what happened in 2016 and 18, particularly from Europe. Because as you know, the first myths about autism and measles vaccine started in the 1990s, Great Britain, and a large community there did not get vaccinated or have their children vaccinated. So I predict we will start seeing more of these outbreaks for those reasons, people not wanting to vaccinate their children, people not going for boosters. As an aside, right now I'm writing an article about an unusual case of fulminant meningococcal disease. When you look at the data, all those since 2005, the conjugated meningococcal vaccines been recommended for adolescents. 83% of them have been vaccinated, but there's also a booster vaccine recommended when they turn 16 to 18. Only 32% of them have been boosted, the same thing we see with COVID. So people are vaccine reluctant, and it's a shame that many with large voices and, and well-known names are out there saying the vaccines are bad and don't work. None of us downplay side effects, but you can't downplay how many people died of smallpox or how many people have crippled children because of polio before vaccines. But do you know how many people volunteered their children for SALT's polio vaccine? Almost a quarter of a million. People volunteered their children when he was doing the trials. They were watching other families with children who were paralyzed or had polio neurologic deficit. Do you see the county where the polio outbreak is occurring right now? It's in Rockland County with people who don't vaccinate their children. I was the principal investigator for two of the vaccine trials here in Palm Beach County for very early on. The end point of the trial, which people don't understand, was to protect people from getting moderate to severe disease, hospitalization, and death. The point was never to totally prevent you from getting mild or asymptomatic COVID. That was a secondary endpoint. Pfizer trial, there were 18,000 people who got vaccine, 18,000 people who got placebo. Out of the 18,000 people who got vaccine, around 580 got asymptomatic COVID, but they were not considered a vaccine failure vaccine's endpoint was to keep you from getting very sick. So at the end of the day, when we said, well, how protective was it? They're in that 94% group, but they got COVID. When Fauci would go on TV, and I know him, he trained where I trained. When he went on originally and said, it's the disease of the unvaccinated. If you get vaccinated, you will not get COVID. I sat there and said to myself, that's not true. You probably, you just won't get very sick, fortunately, or you won't get sick at all. Let's look at this in a little bit more detail. Let's put it again in terms of a question. I think most do not understand the subtleties and nuances of vaccines. I think we get overwhelmed with labels and notions and endpoints. Could you just spend a little bit more time, please, and elaborate on the specific details and concepts behind vaccines? I think it will help us all. Yeah, that's a great question, Amy. So in vaccines are used to for three purposes. A, ideally, it would prevent the person from ever being able to become infected with that virus or bacteria or whatever it is we're vaccinating against if they come in contact. That's ideal. That's rarely the case 100%. So that would be one endpoint. A second endpoint would be to stop the person who does become infected from transmitting it to somebody else. And the third endpoint, which is the major endpoint we look for in these trials, is to prevent the person, if they do become infected after being exposed, from becoming very ill, having significant morbidities, in other words, other problems go on in their body, and hospitalization and death. 
an example, the COVID vaccines early on, the primary endpoint, when you do a trial, you have to say, what am I trying to prove? The primary endpoint was to stop moderate to severe symptomatic disease and hospitalization and death. The secondary endpoints were also to try to prevent people from becoming infected and transmitting it. In the original Pfizer trial, there were around 38,000 people in the trial, half of whom got vaccine, half of whom got placebo. In the group that got vaccine, there were around 600 people, a little bit short of that, who had asymptomatic COVID. They developed COVID but never knew it. We knew that by blood testing. They were not considered vaccine failures. They would have been in the pile of 94% effective because they didn't go on to develop moderate to severe or disease. Now, people say, well, the vaccines didn't work. There's breakthroughs. That's not the case. The fact that somebody developed mild symptomatic COVID, they didn't break through the vaccine. The vaccine still did what it was meant to do in the trial, keep that person from becoming very ill, hospitalized, and dying. And I could tell you, having taken care of hundreds and hundreds of COVID patients, the ones who were very sick in the hospital, over 90% had no vaccines. As the virus mutated, and we got variants, the vaccine still held up. It didn't protect us as well from becoming infected with mild to, you know, disease or asymptomatic disease or spreading it, but it still kept us from getting very ill or hospitalized. That was always the primary endpoint of these vaccines. They worked. They're still working. Everybody who calls me up and says, I have a sore throat, I tested positive, but a few days later I was better, my answer is the vaccine did its job. I've convinced, and I tell my residents all this time, so there are about 25 reportable diseases in the U.S. every every year. They're called reportable diseases because they have public health implications. In other words, if you had a staph skin infection, it's not reportable. But if you had TB, it's reportable because you can contage people. Look at the reportable diseases in the U.S. every year. They've never changed. They're, the top four are always sexually transmitted infections, diseases that are 100% preventable. Syphilis, gonorrhea, human papillomavirus, chlamydia, hepatitis C. Why is that? Well, the example I just gave you, you can't change human sexual behavior. Fascinating, fascinating. So many layers. Dr. Bush practices infectious diseases in Palm Beach County. Thank you so much for being with us, and thank you so much for explaining this. You're welcome.